This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here. We have a chat today with Kaylin Allen, who's a very funny human, who's a correspondent on Ellen's show and also has a really strong YouTube presence and what a sweetheart. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode and I want to let you know that for the month of August, we are going to be playing some older eps, old episodes of this very show uh, that you may have missed because Cammie is taking a month to herself. So I'll miss you. And I will see you Labor Day. And in the meantime, please enjoy this episode and an August full of some of our greatest hits. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. I have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, my name is Kaylin Allen. Some of you may know me from Kaylin Reacts, me talking about food, but I'm also a correspondent at the Ellen DeGeneres Show. Yeah, when did that happen, the Ellen part of things? So that happened probably about, I think, well, you didn't see it until about two months after my first video. Which was how long ago? Yeah, so my first video was made in November of 2017, and I made maybe four of them, and then I made this one that was a potato salad cake, and that was the one Mm. that got Ellen's attention. And then from there, next thing I knew that I was coming out to L.A. to be on the show, and I just thought, you know, I would just come do the show and then go home. And then it turned out that she offered me a job, and then I was moving to Los Angeles. Where were you living at the time? I was living in Philadelphia, so I was still in school. I went to Temple University and was studying theater and film. I still finished school, so once I moved out here, I was going to classes at night, but going to Ellen during the day, so I literally felt like Hannah Montana, like I was living like two different worlds. <laughs> but it was great. I love Philly. Yeah, Philly's great. I yeah. love Philly with a passion. I yeah. love the East Coast in general. Oh, um, do, can I say that? Yeah, I like, yeah, I like the East Coast. Where I are you originally like from? Chicago. Oh, I'm um, from Kansas City. Uh, now I understand. Yep. <laughs> shirt that you're wearing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, so you lived in Kansas City, went to Philadelphia for college, yes. then got scooped up. Yes. During college yes. by actual Ellen DeGeneres. Yes. How did you decide to make that first video? It it wasn't a choice. It just happened. Yes. It just happened. Why would it be a choice? Yeah, it just like it just came to me. I honestly don't even know how to explain it because so much of my life has always been planned. Like everything that I've done has always had a purpose or an intention. And that was the one thing that I've ever done in my entire life that was just like Something told me, Kaylin, you should make a video about this. And I just did. And <laughs> what then, was the first food? It was a cornbread video. Don't mind me. I'm just going to. Of course. Of course. Drink your bubbly. Audibly. Drink your bubbly. Make a snapping <laughs> noise on the thing. Uh, 
It was a cornbread video. Yes, it was a cornbread video. And then what happened was once the cornbread video came out, Seth Rogen retweeted that one, Chrissy Teigen, Deborah Messing. And and once they started to give it traction, then it came a thing. And then people were asking me, like, we want more. We want more. We want more. And I was like, well, I guess this is the thing. I guess I should make some more. And then I made, like, three consecutive after that. And then I ended up making, like, the potato salad video, like, two weeks later. So... What what were you just what were you shooting this on? Because I've seen them on my iPhone, literally my iPhone. Just putting it up against my laptop and pressing record, and then I would play the video in my ear. For some reason, the music of the video would help me with the comedic timing of what I was saying. Sure, that makes sense. I guess because comedy is all about rhythm. So yeah, it's like, and also we put score in right, movies and stuff. Right, so yeah, that makes right. sense. I think it feels better that way. So you had, but prior to this, uh huh. What had you been doing with your time, space, and energy? Like, what were you studying at school? Okay, so I was, I was studying theater and film. I was a double major. But I was also, I had five jobs at the time. Amazing. Yeah. So, <laughs> and the crazy thing is that I wasn't working five jobs because, like, I needed to. But I was working five jobs just because I like to be busy. Like, I don't like having free time and just time to just sit around. I like to always have something to do. Is so, that true for your entire life? Yeah. Like going back to childhood? Yeah. It's just that I always had something to do. I mean, I was, as a child, I was always involved with a lot of leadership, you know, opportunities and stuff like that. Because um, I, I was like randomly on the student board of directors for the Federal Reserve Bank. Like, I ain't got no interest well, in financial. I know. Uh, is an unusual detail right? that I did not expect. Right? It's so <laughs> random. But it was just like, I loved doing things that mainly put me in charge. You know, like, I, I'm a Capricorn, so I like to be in control. So it was like, those kind of things, like, gave me power. Or how, how old are you? I'm 23. Yeah, so I feel like we actually have a lot in common there. I am somebody who's always filled up my time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, let's talk more about your childhood of doing that. But mm-hmm. I'll just say, I am 37. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I am working on now is trying to be okay with free time. Mm. Because for a very long time, by the way, like 23, like this is still serving you. Like, mm. you know, go go do all the things that you're doing. But then I found in my own life mm-hmm. that there was a point at which things kind of switched. And mm-hmm. it was like, okay, this is a really good skill and attribute, but mm-hmm. you also, me, Cameron Esposito, you also have to be able to relax and like and yeah and chill out and just and just feel that you deserve space yes I feel that now actually tell me how I I feel that now and I think it's because I went from one world to another world to a new place where like for instance since I studied theater I was used to doing a show right so we may rehearse for three months and then we put the show on that runs for two weeks so I already know that time in my schedule is my working time. So then I may take like a month off, not really do much, and then I'll go to the next show, right? But with what I do now, it's like I'm always going. It's consistent. It's constant. It's just, it's never ending, you know? And then it's like, it comes with so much other stuff outside of that, you know, with events to go to and red carpets to attend and all that, that it's a lot always happening all at once. And you never really get a chance to take a break. So what are you doing or, I mean, you know, maybe it's not bothering you at at this point, or maybe it will never bother you. Yeah, but no, it, what do you do to try to protect some time for yourself? I don't think it really bothers me, but I do think it is important for me. Like, I like to live my life in chapters. 
you know? And so I think what I try to do is like when the season wraps, okay, well, I'm going to take a break now, you know, so that I can let everything that I've learned from that past year soak in. So it's not so much, oh, I need to relax. I need a break. But it's more so letting everything just soak into me and giving me some time to decompress and digest it all. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. What about you? What were you like as a kid? As a kid, I was very, very independent, very outgoing, very fun, just like I am now. You know, I was very, very much involved in everything. I was not very shy at all. I was always wanting to be front row and center. I loved attention. You know, I was an entertainer. I remember I used to go to like shopping centers and they would play music and like I would like dance and stuff. You know, like I was just always the person that if we were at the mall and like Radio Disney was there, I always wanted to do like the karaoke. Like I was the one that wanted to be in the front. I wanted to be on stage. I love entertaining. And I think that's the only thing that I miss now with what I do is that I miss being on stage in front of an audience. You know, like I think when I watch Ellen do the show every day, I'm like, oh. I can't wait till I get the opportunity to have that feeling to have these people come here every single day to see you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I relate to that. Yeah. I'm a stand-up comic. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um What kind of what kind of so that's who you were. What kind of neighborhood were you living in? Where were you living yeah. in Kansas City? So I lived in Wyandotte County, which is actually the same county as Janelle Monet. So mm-hmm. Janelle Monet went to school right up the street from my house, actually. And my mother tells me that her and Janelle's mother went to school together in elementary school. <laughs> so random. Um, but yeah, and so I've seen, I've seen Janelle at a couple events now that I've moved out to Los Angeles. But yeah, so I'm from Wanda County. I went to Sumner Academy of Arts and Sciences, which was a um, academy that you had to be accepted into. So I was very um, academically, you know, gifted in some, <laughs> some way. So yeah, so I did that, but I was always into the arts and t- entertainment. I've done over probably 50 musicals and plays my entire childhood. What was the what was the area like where you were raised? Um, it was urban. It was a primarily all African American community. So it was it was a great community. I loved growing up there. I didn't grow up in the suburbs. You know, I wasn't like out with the rich folks. But uh, yeah, no, it was a it was a great neighborhood. So then you went to Temple, and I right. I, I also happen to know that uh, Philly's a Majority minority city. Correct. Which is awesome. Correct. And why the Philly Pride flag is from there. Yes. And and uh super rich. Um in and this is just my experience as a white person, so you could correct me, but um I felt like the sort of gay neighborhood there had like full on tons of black folks, Absolutely. tons of people of color, which is not true Absolutely. everywhere. Like Absolutely. I'm from Chicago. The gay neighborhood is the gay neighborhoods are, are on the north side of the uh-huh. city. All the black folks live on like the uh-huh. south or west side. So it's there's like a real culture clash thing going yes. on where um like the white folks own the property, uh-huh. the black folks are coming in and like using the services. It's mm-hmm. like not the it's tense. There's mm-hmm. a lot of tension there. Mm-hmm. What did you did you go hang out at? Yes, I find that I love that Philly, you bring that up because I actually was having a conversation with somebody the other day because I was comparing WeHo to Ooh. um the neighborhood in That's Philadelphia. That's why I was going to ask because I was imagining then this it's person landing in Los Angeles after yes. where you're talking about growing up and then Philly yes. to LA. Yeah, I very going. much my entire life have been around black people. All the time. And now Ellen DeGeneres is your boss. <laughs> and I've seen that audience. I mean, you know, I've you seen know, who's in the audience. And it's not. It's a white audience. It's a white it audience. It is a white audience. <laughs> but um, I think, I think for me, it is a very, I don't even think it, it just has to do with L.A. 
in general on how LA is so spread out, you yeah. know? Most of the minorities live further down in Inglewood and Compton and, you know, um, those areas are Baldwin Hills. And it's like, I would prefer to be down there, you know, but it's all about commute. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, as somebody who's, because I also feel like a lot of folks who live in those neighborhoods are maybe people who are from here because uh-huh. the imported folks, uh-huh. like the folks who move here for work, uh-huh. that's not the easiest commute. So it's like, like, we're, like then what do you, what does one do? If you're right. like a black person moving to, to LA, you're right. either like, well, I'm moving to a uh-huh. black neighborhood and my life is going to be uh-huh. annoying mm-hmm. because of driving right. or I'm living or I'm living. Like, where, like what you did have, you choose to do? I chose to stay in Hollywood because I'm all about commutes. I just, yeah. I just wasn't willing to drive 45 minutes every single day. Does it day. feel like a shit ton of white people too? Um, I, I don't think so, actually. I don't, I mean, white people are always the majority, you know, but I think I don't really even, God, do I not even like really pay attention? I guess, <laughs> I guess I'm so secure in like my own blackness that I don't even pay attention to notice if anybody else like that is, you know, that is different from me or whatever. Um, but I would say even at Ellen, I think the beautiful thing I think is even the people that I meet usually come from all different types of backgrounds, you know, because I think you also have to realize people that come to L.A. for vacation are usually upper middle class. You know, L.A. is a very expensive city to come to and to afford even for vacation, you know. So I, I don't think seeing the people in the audience at Ellen is a good representation of our entire demographic because most people watch from home. And I know many of the people that I meet are black, you know? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I was thinking more like the studio audience. I was thinking oh, for the, you specifically, not audience. necessarily for... Um, other folks, but just your experience. My experience with the studio. Flopping into Uh a situation that might feel different than what you. Okay. Well, okay. Well, I can actually say that maybe I don't notice the difference because in theater, theater has become very much of a, a class thing. Mm -hmm. Only certain people can afford to go to the theater. You know? Yeah, that's right. So it's like theater audiences. If you go to a Broadway show that even has an all black cast, it's mostly white people in the audience. I that is so. You know, there was. Did you, I don't know if you saw this over the weekend, and I don't know when this is going to air, but we just had the blackout in New York City. Yes, correct. And so like the the cast of Hades Town was exactly. out on the street yes. performing, and yes. like that is stark when you when you watch that video mm-hmm. and those people are, um, you know, singing and it's mm-hmm. beautiful and they're talented and they're mm-hmm. they are making money and they are being praised. Yeah. But it kind of looks like, like in that particular video, I'm not saying the cast should have done anything different, Uh but it just, it looks like a different time, you know, like, or like a different thing is happening than what is actually, like if you didn't, if you didn't see the caption of the video, you You might, you might be like, what am I watching? Yes. Because yes. it's like a bunch of white people surrounding black people who Performing. are singing. Right, yeah. exactly, yes. So it's like, huh, but, you know, that, yeah, I guess that, is that your experience in, in theater too? Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think you also, you have to realize that access yeah, plays a lot into it and what different races and different, different demographics have access to what, you Yeah, know? you know, I, 
Do you know the musical Fun Home? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. So I went to see that on Broadway, and mm-hmm. this is not a, this isn't like a, a color thing, but it was, it was the audience that I saw that show with mm-hmm. were so many of the like white haired couples mm-hmm. that are, you know, they're white people. They're like whatever age they are, 68, uh-huh. 73. Uh-huh. And they have come in from wherever, or maybe right. they live in Manhattan. Right. And I, I actually cried uh, because I couldn't believe that I was surrounded by straight people mm. watching this like super gay story. Like when the actors came out and they had like mm-hmm. haircuts, mm-hmm. they had, like gay haircuts. Yeah. And I just was, I just, I felt, I realized I had never been watching queer art. Uh-huh. Surrounded by straight people. Well, I mean, well, then you must not go to the gay clubs. Oh, what do you mean? Tell me. Because, I mean, if you go to the gay clubs. You're talking about like a drag show? No, I mean, just like if you go to like a, I guess not so much in WeHo, but I know definitely from being like in Philadelphia, if you went to like, we had a place called like Woody's. You go to Woody's, there are people there with their bachelorette parties. You know, it's like straight people there, you know? Word. I guess, I guess this felt a little different because I, because I, because it felt like people actually trying to listen versus that feels a little bit to me like some like people trying to take over the space. Mm. Like it didn't feel exploitative. It felt mm. it felt like like they were there to yeah. Like all. like I I feel you know because of what it was mm-hmm. this like high brow art shit where yeah. like I I feel like it's you know if you go to a gay and lesbian film festival yeah. There aren't straight people in the fucking audience there right. to see the gay movies. Right. Like maybe some people watched Moonlight like right. exactly. in their home exactly. after they rented it. But like yes. nobody was fucking seeing that movie with, you know, with me in the theaters right. or whatever. So it was just like that was interesting. But you're right to point out. Um, I just feel like it felt a little different than what you're talking about, which I certainly have. Well, no, I do not go to the gay mm-hmm. bars or clubs, but mm-hmm. at a different time in my life I did. Mm-hmm. So I definitely know what you're talking about. Yeah. Interesting. But that's also not my space, really. Like, as a lesbian, now, that's not okay, really but my space. Needs, but see, that needs to be unpacked, too, because that's a problem, too. Don't you feel? I don't know. I mean, I do feel like as a queer woman, I have other spaces. Okay. But, like, if I go into a bar that's for gay men, mm-hmm. um, I feel like a visitor that needs mm-hmm. to be, like, respectful of the space. What I mean is I'm mm-hmm. not trying to, like, be one of those— Lesbians, it's like grinding on a gay, like where where everybody's pre- pretending that like they can touch each other's bodies. And mm-hmm, do you know what mm-hmm, I'm talking about? The yeah. thing I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I get it. Where there's like a dyke and, and she's like, and everybody's touchy, gramming each other because yeah, yeah. it's like funny. Like yeah. that's never been who I. Yeah, I get you. Am yeah, I'm not a I'm not a club person either. Like I don't really go out. I think I went out more in Philly than I do in WeHo well, because, sure. like you said, like. There were black and brown people there. You know, they play our type of music. But I mean, even there, it was still kind of segregated. Like the black people, the the parts of the club that play the hip hop and the rap and the R&B music was all the way on the top floor in the back corner. You are saying that it would maybe be the same club. Yes. That within the club, there'd There's be segregation. There's another room. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I That is like Absolutely. so... That is so perfect for, you know, the realities of mm-hmm. our community. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like in my mind, I was like, Philly's one of those places where the community's really, like, 
in, you know, uh, mixed together. Well, see, and you're that like, was, yeah, I guess, but they are on different floors. But that was the purpose <laughs> of the black and brown stripes being added to right. the flag in yeah. Philly was because of the segregation and the divide, you know? And it's like, it wasn't going to work because I remember we had a uh, a club called Eye Candy in Philly to which the, the owner was caught on camera saying like the N-word and stuff and we stopped supporting the club. So dang, and the black people push the money in. So when we start going, the club closed. You know what? Sorry, go ahead. We're, we're but I, I'm just saying, I think it's so crazy how how you can go into a gay club, but you have to go to a certain room to hit a meal. And the crazy thing yeah, is that wild. that room is usually doesn't have any air condition. You're packed in there like sardines. You can barely move while everybody else is out here on this big old dance floor. You know, it's crazy to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. We upstairs listening to Cardi B and Nicki Minaj, and they downstairs <laughs> listening to Lady Gaga, you know? It's very different. Yeah. Have you been out here in, in WeHo? Like, yeah. at all? Yeah, I've been. Um, well, now what's great is there are certain nights that they play hip-hop and rap. And right. like, like, I know at the Abbey is uh, Thursday nights, and then I know at Rage it is Sunday nights. And so it's like, well, if you want to get all that music, go then. Any other time, it's just like technical and pop. But the difference from WeHo is that in Philly, people went to dance. People went to let loose and have fun. You go to WeHo, people just standing around talking and drinking and just trying to look cute, you know? <laughs> and that is why I don't go. Because it's just like, I I don't really need that, you know? So no... if you're trying to date people, where do you meet them? Mm. That well, could, date could mean anything. I think I I'm would just, have I'm I would have to it. date first, I would think. <laughs> I don't think I'd do that at all. So I think, but if I were to date anyone, I would prefer it to be by um recommendation. Oh, like you want to meet people through friends. Yes, definitely. Have you done that in the past? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. me me too. That's like a has it worked out when you've met people through friends? Has it worked out? Sometimes. And sometimes it's just been like things like distance or stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. that is separated to two. But I prefer, especially now, I prefer to know people that already know who I am as a person beyond what they see on TV or on media, you know. And I think when you go through friends, it's easier for that because that person will already know that other person. Mm-hmm. So it's easier for them to tell me, you know. Have you gotten interest or attention mm-hmm. specifically because of the job that you do that feels I w- disingenuous or that feels gross or, or anything? I Is think that what so. I don't, honestly, I don't know. I think, does it make me more of a target? Yes. I know there have been dates that I've went on and they've immediately started it with being like a fan and stuff. And I think the way that I gauge it is that I figure out if they're trying to like come to the show or if they want to like meet Ellen or stuff like that. You know, it's like how much access are they trying to get from me? Right. You know, but I appreciate. Right. Exactly. And and also working on their. Well, there's that side of things. And then I also think there's another side of things, which is for me anyway, Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel so great. You know, the thing that I'm doing for my job Mm -hmm. is a version of me. Correct. But that's not me. Uh, Correct. I I have another part of me. I agree. And my friends know that part. My family knows that part. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. like, you know, big and loud on stage. And Mm -hmm. offstage, I'm like actually kind of a quiet person, you know, and I'm really sensitive. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm actually setting up myself and the other person for for disappointment, you know, where it's like, that's actually not me. Like, I'm not so um, one answer to every question, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, 
it makes me uncomfortable yes. sometimes when people are interested in like a sexy way because I I feel like you don't know what version to give them. Yeah, ex- and it feels like, oh man, I am I'm like you fell for the trap. Like, that I didn't even mean to set. Like, I wasn't even trying to set a trap. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I completely agree with that. And I think for me is that because people think, well, people think funny equates to fun, if that makes sense. Oh, my God, that makes sense. Yes. You know? Yes. Like, just because you're (laughs) funny, then you've got to (laughs) be— such a fun person. That is—that is amazing—yes. You know? And I'm always like— when people are like, let's go out. And I'm like, oh, can we just like chill? Can we just like watch a movie or something <laughs> like that? You know, like I'm not the one that's like, oh my gosh, yes, let's go turn up. Like that's not who I am at all, you know? And then I think that can be disappointing to people. And then people want to call me like a prude or something. Or something. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's just not how I have fun. You know, I'm more of an experience-based type of person. I love that so much. I have never heard anybody say that, but mm-hmm. you are so right. Mm-hmm. The thing of, also everybody that I know that is a comic is is shades of like cynical. <laughs> like yes. I just mean off stage. You know, these are like y- you have to be a somewhat serious person to take joking around seriously. Well, I think that's you know to where... take like cornbread videos and yes. be like, "This is what I'm gonna do." Like Correct. that's you're a serious right. person. <laughs> well, I think the comedy comes from adversity. Actually, yeah, absolutely. I think comedy comes from the need to kind of use it as self-defense, you know? I think for me growing up, it was like I found if I was funny, people accepted me more. You know, people didn't bully me as much. People didn't tease me because they knew I would always have a quick comeback. Right. You know? So I think of it more as a defense mechanism, you know? 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a acquired skill that, mm-hmm. like, you know, you and I have figured out how to monetize, mm-hmm. you know, but it's also, but like you're saying, it's, it's a reaction to this like crushing, you know, these walls crushing on either right. side of us, like Star Wars. And like out of that, we, you know, we created a up. career and everything, right. mm-hmm. but that, of course, there's a difference between that and the real you, because the real you sometimes has Moments of comfort. You don't always need to be hilarious because there's moments you're just (laughs) fucking relaxed. I know. I see memes all the time. And it's like me after um, coming home, after being the funny friend. And it's like people just exhausted. I'm like, mood. Yeah. Mood. Yeah. Yes. People lean on you, you know? Yeah. So when you were a kid and you were getting out in front of folks making Mm -hmm. fun of you, bullying Mm -hmm. you, what would they have been saying? I mean, it's... The best way I can, subs- uh, I mean, um, the best way I can describe it is, okay, so you talked about Moonlight, right? I always push this argument about Moonlight is that the boy wasn't being bullied because he was gay. He was being bullied because he was weak. And I think within society, a lot of times weakness is a sign of gayness, You know, and it doesn't necessarily have to actually do with one's sexuality if they know or not, you know. And I think I, as you said, I'm very skinny. I wasn't the athletic type. It's just who was who I wasn't, you know. And so I think because of that, people made fun of me for that reason. Now, there were smaller things like me talking with my hands or the way I would sit sometimes that people would say, oh, you're gay or something like that, you know. But I always felt like I was being bullied because I was weak, you know. And that I wasn't as I wasn't a manly man, 
you know, as people wanted me to be. Do you think that weak equates with, I mean, I wish we had better words in this, but feminine in your, in, in what was being perceived of yes. you by other people? Yes, I think so. I think that's what people equate it to. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know what this is like. Um, Cause I will say my experience as a, as a woman, you're, you're not necessarily patrolled for that because mm-hmm. you're already mm-hmm. feminine. So, mm-hmm. so people already hate you for that reason. It's mm-hmm. not, there's no, there's, right. there's other stuff that you're patrolled for, right. but it's not that. So, you know, and I also have no idea what it's like to be a black man and mm-hmm. be patrolled for that. Because I think, especially if you're a black man, it's, mm-hmm. you know, you better not be feminine because right. you are being required to take on the world. You know, right. like the world is, is, down on you, you better, right. you better be big and exactly. tough and, and be able to push back. Yeah. And I think it, it trickles down into even the gay community, especially now. And, you know, we have a lot of gay men that say mask for mask, you know, no films and the femininity never, never actually means that that person is, you know, Oh, Hey girl, like, yes, queen and stuff like that. But it sometimes has to do with muscles. You know, they want somebody that looks like a bodybuilder that hits the gym every single day. You know, they consider that to be masculine. And for me personally, that just never made sense to me because I'm like, okay, somebody can be muscular, but can be a trash person, you know? And the fact that you are willing to say that just because this person has muscles and they look good, oh, that's the love of my life. That's my husband. You know, like that doesn't really make sense to me. How do you feel now about this same? I mean, because, yeah, you're, you know, you're the size Uh that you are. You're Mm -hmm. out. How, how... What do people say to you? Do you still get shit? Yes, I still feel it. I still feel it very much. And I think what happened, and I think this is why I'm very cautious of it and I pay more attention now, is that because they know my job. So they're kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, he may be this, but he has this, which all these people usually don't have. So that balances it out, you know? And for me, that's not good enough. You know, you have to like me for every piece of me, you know? And it's like, I won't accept anything less than. And I think that's also why I tend to just be single, because I don't settle. I don't think it's dating as a hobby. I don't need someone to make me feel good about myself, you know, and I'm not interested in compromising who I am just for somebody to hold me at night. Have you had experiences where somebody was telling you a positive thing about your body and you believed them? Like, have you had those experiences yet? Mm. Because you're pretty, you're pretty young person. Mm -hmm. It's totally possible you haven't. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't think, I don't think I had, and you know what's crazy is that I got a personal trainer once I moved to LA and started working out. And the reason why is because I told him, I said, I'm not doing this for me. I said, I'm doing this because it's a business move. Sure. It's a business. Do you look different now after having a trainer? (laughs) Barely. You know, I'm not consistent. (laughs) I don't care that much. (laughs) I wish I was more consistent, but I, I did it because I felt like I needed to gain weight. I needed to start looking bigger. I needed to look more like a man, you know, a more masculine man. If I was going to be one, an actor in the industry and get roles. Cause I remember when I wanted to be an actor, the very first thing that was told to me was that I wasn't going to be able to be that because I was gay. I mean, what's funny about this and the sort of way that, you know, we as queer people have to continue to be in the world is like, 
that was your reaction after you were offered a job and brought here, Mm -hmm. you know, is to be like, now I need to make sure I can get a job here. It's like you already had the job, but it's so internalized, you know, that like you're already getting all this positive feedback and you're like, and I, hey, I also understand, Uh you know, there is a world where Uh working on aesthetics can benefit you out here in Los Angeles. I'm not. Right. Um, well, what I was but, you saying, know, yeah, you're getting a positive, you're getting positive reinforcement and you're like, I wonder if I should double down on changing correct. this thing about myself. Exactly. Well, I think in a lot of times when people ask me, cause they'll be like, oh, he's so humble and stuff like that. And I tell people it's like, I have to be because why I have to be is that I'm black and I'm gay. This industry was not built for me. It wasn't. If I lose this. I could probably never work again. It's not It's not meant, you know? It's kind of like Ellen knew that she was going to lose everything. She didn't know if she was ever going to work again. She didn't know if she was going to be able to sustain her life again, you know? But she was willing to risk it all. And then, you know, it came back to her tenfold, you know? But for me, it's, like I, it's so many layers. There's so much intersectionality that people don't understand, you know? I don't have time not to be humble because there's literally nowhere where I fit in. You know, I don't fit in with the African-American community because I'm gay and I don't fit anywhere else because I'm black. So it's like I have to figure out how to create my own lane, write my own thing. So like even with red carpets that I attend and stuff like that, I know I'm always with my team and I'm always telling them to get me into everything as possible. And I always want to make sure that I am front row and center at these events. And people get a little touchy when I post things about me in the Hollywood world because they're like, oh, he's changing or he's getting to Hollywood. But I have to fight to be in those places because of visibility. You know, growing up, I had no one to look at that I could say, oh, that's who I can be. You know, I think about Billy Porter now and I'm like, if I would have had a Billy Porter growing up, I can only imagine how I would have been able to find myself sooner. So I do everything so that I can be front row and center and visible to those little boys out there that are just like me who need somebody to believe in because people that are black and queer are usually only told their limitations and not their limitless possibilities. I mean, that's amazing. And I was going to follow up by asking you about Billy Porter. Mm. And that in and of itself is awesome and sad because we came up with the same name. <laughs> you know, like, I just mean when you're like, and well, if you, I had like grown up one. with, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got If one. I had grown up with fill in the blank, it's, it's Billy Porter because mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's, that's who it is right mm-hmm. now. Um, yeah. Hey, I mean, I hear you. I do. I hear you. I I also understand the feeling of if I lose this job, there isn't another. Right. You know, the things that I have been cast in as an actor are all things that um, usually weren't written for a couple. I'm trying to think. A couple of them, I guess, have been for a lesbian, but a lot of times it's just been like, Somebody asked me to be in a thing, so mm-hmm. I got to be in it. Mm-hmm. I say that because, like, when there's a role that's specifically for a queer woman, mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, 300 women show up for that because that's – there because right. there aren't that many. And by the way, we're also competing with, like, straight, straight women yeah. who might also get the ha- get, have our haircuts – for the role, you exactly. know, like it's, it's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, it's really intense. Yeah. And I just want to like 
zoom back to this thing for one tiny second uh-huh. before we move on. The thing about getting positive feedback from your body that that you believe, I just want to say that this is just human to human. I really hope that happens for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, because because I... I am also somebody that, you know, was bullied. I was bullied when I was a little kid, but the other way, mm. because kids thought I was fat. Mm. But I think that actually was just them seeing queerness mm-hmm. and not knowing what to call it. Because, like, like, I had this body. I'm mm-hmm. not, like, a a person that should necessarily uh, – Not nobody should. But I just mean – I'm not fat. I'm not a fat person. Mm-hmm. So I just have looked back on this in my childhood and been like – what was the thing that was going on? Right. Just like you being made fun of for being skinny, like mm-hmm. that that could be like a skinniness thing, mm-hmm. but it's also because it means femininity it's means gay. It, right. You know, like it's like putting a label to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's and it's also just like a shorthand thing where you're like, I know what you mean is right. Um, so, you know, in, even though it went very, very different sides of coin, we had kind of the same experience of being like body patrolled yeah. based on yeah. what was something people couldn't yeah. necessarily, yeah. you know, name. And, um, that's a really tough experience. Yeah. I think my advantage comes from fashion though. Oh, tell me. Cause like doing like fashion week and stuff like, or getting dressed for like premieres and stuff. I can fit sample clothes. I was just going to say you're sample size. Yeah, I'm sample size. So it's like I can get clothes like that, you know, and I don't have to worry about alterations or getting them tailored and stuff because I can fit them right off the runway. Well, now, good. that I love. Like, yes. I, I thrive for that. Then, <laughs> then I can really pull some looks out here. But, yeah, I think I, I will say that even though I was teased or bullied for those things, I don't necessarily feel like they haunt me. Oh, that's good. I don't, yeah, I don't ever think about like, oh my God, my legs are too skinny or ew, like, why do I look like that? Yeah, I'm not that type of person. But I think what has happened is that because of feeling like I am too feminine at sometimes, is that I think it hinders me trusting my talent. Hmm. Because I think I try to code switch a lot in, in what I do and trying to figure out what is a more acceptable version. And do you mean code switch uh, like more straight or do you mean code switch more white or do you mean code switch more both? I think all of the above. Yeah. I think all of the above. I think it's a it's a lot of code switching that you have to do, especially when you're making content, you know, and, and to many different people that are of different nationalities and beliefs and stuff like that. You know, I think it's very much like um, – I know sometimes when I'll talk about gay stuff or something like that, and then somebody will be like, oh, you're shoving it down our throats, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, well, that's who I am. You know, it's like kind of like take it or leave it. You Are know? you getting those comments on, like, say, for I get, your social media now? I get comments that are just all over the place, I think. You know, sometimes I get comments. I tell people all the time is that sometimes when I see people that don't, that put hate towards me or don't like me. I never know if they're not liking me because I'm gay or because I'm black. You know, I never think that it has anything to do with my talent when they come to me in the comments. I think it has to do with their own prejudice towards me. Yeah, that's just also like a very specific experience to starting your career mm-hmm. online. Yeah. 
because I stopped reading the comments. Yeah, good. Because I mean, I started my career like in rooms. Doesn't Mm -hmm. mean I didn't get negativity, Mm -hmm. but it's a finite amount of people, (laughs) and they can't uh, like come and get you later because you're you're all leaving at the end of the thing. Right. So it's very different to. Yeah, put yourself out there. Yeah, there and to have it there and it's this, always like, really there. Broad. Yeah, and I think the only downfall from that is that I don't really get to celebrate anything. You know, tell me more. As in, like my content, if it does good, like there's so many times that people at the studio be like, "Oh my gosh, your video hit like 10 million views and stuff like that." I because I guess I come from a theater background. I remember my favorite part was after the show when you go out and you meet everybody and they tell you sure. how you thought about it. It's like I can't read the comments. You know? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. Because that's something that a lot of people will say. They're like, well, don't read the comments or don't don't Mm -hmm. care about like the replies in your and then you the thing that I think we don't talk about very much is that that also means you are sacrificing the positive feedback. Yes. Because and that's the thing is that we all operate in society based on our egos. So if we aren't feeding the ego, there's nothing to really grow from. Or to move towards, you know, because we don't know how we're doing. Sure. We don't know if we're doing it right. We don't know if the content is funny. We don't know because we don't get to enjoy it. And the views don't count because anybody can see that, you know, that could just be somebody looking at it. That doesn't necessarily mean that they liked it or disliked it, you know? Yeah. I want to ask you a question about what we were just talking about, about code switching Mm -hmm. and then you know, having seen the work that you do, mm-hmm. does it feel like the character or the person that you are in mm-hmm. those videos is as black and as gay as you want to be? Like, do you feel like in the, in those, in the videos mm-hmm. that you make that you're holding back? Or do you feel like that's what you want to present? I think not anymore. I w- and I say that because I think when I first started, I think I believed that I was going to have to without anybody ever asking me to or telling me to, it was just kind of like, because I knew how society operated and how Hollywood operated, it was just like, okay, Caitlin, well, you can't cuss as much. You can't say this. You can't say, you know, well, white people don't season their food. Like, you can't say those kind of things. So you need to tailor it. And then once I started to do that, the content wasn't funny. It Got just, it. it wasn't So like the first video, like the cornbread video, yes. do you feel like in that you're not tailoring or that you're tailoring? I'm not tailoring. And then you felt like once they were successful, you thought maybe I'm going to have to make some alterations. Once it hit a, a, a broader audience. Yeah. And once kids were involved and all those different loops that were involved, it was like, okay, now I need to kind of tailor it. But then I found, so then the content to me wasn't as entertaining or as funny. And I fell into a deep depression, very deep depression. And I think it was because I was trying to be someone that I wasn't. You know, and it was just like I wasn't willing to sacrifice myself. So then once I got like my own digital series, then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to start just being who I am at this point, you know, because I I have to I have to. That's the only way I'm going to be able to thrive. If people don't like it, they don't like it. You know, then don't watch it. Go watch something else. You know, I don't care. But I will make sure that everything is true to who I am. I told people all the time that it was hard for me to make content that made everybody else happy if I wasn't happy myself. You know, sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And I, I also think that, well, so are you getting, so if that actually, if it feels like the videos are in line with, with what you want to present and who mm-hmm. you are and mm-hmm. your, your real self, um, then when you get comments like this is, 
you like forcing your queerness, mm-hmm. you know, on us or whatever. Does that ever make you do? I think you, I think you answered this, but I just want to, does that ever feel personal to you? Yes. Like, cause you're, cause you're like, okay, this is who I am. Like yes. you said, you said you made the first video. That yes. was who you were. You tried to like, see if you could, you know, change it right. or whatever. And then now you're back to who you are. Yes. So does that feel personal? If somebody's uh, responding? Yes, it does. And I think at that point, what it makes it feel like is that people want me to shuck and jive. You know, it's like people want me to be a certain version of myself. This is all that I can be. You know, I think what happens is that when you become, quote unquote, a public figure or have some type of, you know, mass um, accessibility, people start to think that they own you. And they like to tell you what to do and what not to do and dictate how you do it, you know. And I think you have to really distance yourself from that, you know. So a lot of times I won't. I won't be on like social media or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially when you're part of a community that's and multiple communities Mm -hmm. that are patrolled anyway. Yeah. So it's just like adding, because I do do think you're right Right. about that, like feeling of public ownership and everything. But then you add to that, like "Mm, all queer people are patrolled for their queerness. So it's just like a magnified version of that or all black people are patrolled yes. for their black- blackness so it's a magnified version of that i also think hollywood has changed a lot i think we are now in a a in time and space where authenticity is celebrated you know we have people like cardi b we have people like meg the stallion who are just who they are you know unapologetically you know and i think what i am most happy with making the choice of you know joining ellen is that they have really given me the space to be who I am, you know? And I think I wouldn't have gotten that anywhere else. You know, I think I've, I haven't been somewhere that has really allowed me to express myself the way that they have, you know? Oh, and that's I'm even... I'm so happy to hear that. I mean, and that's just in the office on a day-to-day basis. That's far beyond just the videos, you know, just, just me walking around the, the studio, you know? So, Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's the best part of it. Yeah. Because it would it would suck if it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Mm-hmm. I lo- I have um, I have so loved talking to you, and um, thank you. I loved it too. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? So I know you said you're not sure. Who knows? This could be the only. Who kn- who knows? But what would you want to do? Mm. Do you know? I've been thinking about that a lot more. Recently, I do think, I think I'm starting to focus on more as me as the personal brand, you know? So I'm thinking <laughs> sure. about, like, I want to write a cookbook, you know? Like, I do all this critiquing of food and saying how people don't season food right. Well, maybe I should teach people, you know? Maybe I should be the person to change that, you know? Have you just said that to anybody at, at Ellen? Yeah. You, okay, good. Because yeah. I was going to say, they will just make that happen. That makes perfect <laughs> sense. Right. And yes. And they can just sell it yeah. on... Look, I don't mean to do Ellen's job uh-huh, for Ellen, uh-huh. but just sell it on the damn website. Uh-huh. It'll make a lot of money for everybody. See, listen. Yeah, so, so I'm thinking a cookbook. I think I want to produce. I think I want to write. I definitely want to continue to act. I definitely want to go do Broadway just because that's where my heart is. So it's like I, I Cookbook straight to Broadway. You know? The the cookbook, the Broadway show. I don't know. It's there we idea. go. Like yeah. I want to do it all. You know, I just want to. I just want to do as much as I can with what I have, so that I can only break down barriers and open doors for so many other people to walk through them too, and not it always only being one. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I even as we've been talking, like since then, I've been trying to think in my brain, who else? Well, you got RuPaul and you got Billy Porter. I mean, yeah. And you don't really expand from there. I know. I mean, it's really true because, like, um, Trevon I mean, Free, who's been on here, is he's oh, more. That's behind. one of my best friends. Oh yeah, so he's more behind the scenes. I mean, it's not uh-huh. you know, so that's different. Yeah. Um, and then. I think there's there are there are a lot of people I would say, but the difference is it's like when you're thinking like mainstream. I'm you know? thinking visible black, correct, queer, like men. who's on the cover of That's Vogue, what I'm thinking about. who's on the cover of Out magazine, right. like who are they putting in the press, yeah. front row and center. I mean, oh, Karamo also. Yes, there yes. we go. Wow. Yes. Wow, that yes. is not even well, that but, is not even all the fingers. But and, and I know Karamo, but the challenge that is that okay, so Karamo has been. I knew Karamo before Queer Eye, you know, because that was my community, real world. Then he was on a, a show called like My Last Fifteen with like Tiffany Pollard, and it only came on TV one. But it is sad that Karamo didn't get the recognition that he deserved until he was surrounded by white co-stars. Hey. You know, absolutely. Also, I mean, I I really love all of the. I'm so happy for the folks that are on that show. Like, yeah. I really want them to have right money and success and jobs. But that show is sometimes tough for me to watch because mm. I, not them, but mm-hmm. like, it's hard sometimes for me to see those people be in service of. Yes, I knew that's exactly folks. what you were going to say. I knew and that it's was, just hard. Yes. It's just not where I'm at personally. Or the fact of, it's kind of like you think about like, kind of like, it's like, they don't like us, but we have to go in and we have to do the teaching. We have to do all the work for them to accept us, you know? It's, and give them free things. And give, right. you know, go to someone's house, mm-hmm. give them free shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, change, change their, their hair, lives. all this yeah. stuff. And, it, and it's, I don't, I do think that the producers and everything did a good version of this. Like, yes. it's like, it's like the most loving, best yes. version of this yes. thing. So it's not even anybody's, it's the fucking premise mm-hmm. of the thing is yeah. what I'm over personally. Yeah. And, um. I, see, I get that. I really, I also hope it gets like 75,000 more seasons. Like I feel both, you know, both right. things. Yes. I think, I think the best thing about it is the visibility. And yeah. I think what I love about the show is that each person on the show it's it's so different it's not stereotypical yeah you know? and it is like it's you know it's sweet right. and it and it's fun to watch right. Car- karamo isn't tan tan isn't bobby and bobby isn't anthony you know everybody gives a different version of what queerness is so that people aren't sitting at home still thinking that oh yeah this is what gay is you know and that here's the 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 list of what you have to be in order to be considered that you know yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I am also, you know, very personally invested in the idea of creating spaces where it's like where queer is the norm, yes. you know, and the, that's why yes. I started this podcast. That's yes. why I think it's important for you and I to have a conversation. That's why I think it's awesome that you're working at Ellen yes. specifically. Yes. Because it's, you know, good on her or the producers or whoever mm-hmm. decided to bring you on that. You know, this many years later, it's not, uh, 
only, you know, like only white lesbians that she's choosing to elevate. Yes. I think that's really important. Yes. And I, I agree. I love that as well. I think even with the people that we bring onto the show, I love how diverse it is. You never see the same people that look the same being helped. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, we don't care. We're, it's very about getting to the base of who people are as human beings. Well, I feel very happy to have spoken to you. And before I send you back into your day, I just wanted to ask you to shout out a queero. Just like a person, mm-hmm. place, or thing mm-hmm. made mm-hmm. you feel like you could You know, be. I would say my queero is definitely Billy Porter at this time. And the reason why I say that is because as a Broadway kid, I remember um, Billy opening up Kinky Boots, you know, and or doing like the soundtrack for First Wives Club, you know, and doing all these amazing things and being so talented and never getting the recognition that he deserved. And now with Pose and it's just killing the game, you know, today he was announced that he is an Emmy nominated for Pose. And it's like, that's amazing. Like, that's the type of visibility we need, you know? Yeah, I was going to I was going to ask you if you grew grew up and came up watching him. That is he is. Having a moment that feels like, you know, a life a lifetime of being ready for, it, or whatever. Like he right. spent a lifetime getting ready for it. Yeah. That's why then he was, you know, able to slide right in. Yeah. And it's good to remember that that's possible, no matter mm-hmm. what you do with yes. your job. Um, that you know, some folks like like you have like a lot of visibility at twenty three, or or have some things, but that there's always that there are always. I just think in culture in the culture that we live in, we're sold this idea that like but you better have it all locked up by 30 right but you better have it all locked up by you know 32 maybe and i honestly don't think that people actually get to that point until their 30s you know well well, however old billy is i mean what i have no idea right 48 that's what i'm gonna say well i mean you think about older than that how old is he i don't know. know but you think about ellen you know, you think about Oprah. Mm-hmm. They were older. I think what happens is that I think for me right now where I am is that I have on the training wheels. That's what I tell people. I, when people ask me what I'm excited for, I'm always like, I'm excited for the growth. I'm excited to see who I am in 20 years because by then I would have mastered this shit. You know? That's awesome. Okay. So then I'm going to know how to play the game. I'm going to know who to go to, <laughs> how to make things happen. And then I'm going to be able to control it, you know? I think Beyonce, even I think Beyonce now is like in her prime and it's like it took time. It takes time, you know? Yeah. But people, a lot of people just want it quick and fast, you know? It I doesn't. Know. You need patience. I know. Beyonce, exactly. We're the same age. I saw her for the first time when we were both sixteen. Really? So my point is it's amazing that we are the same age and have the same amount of success. Okay. Don't yeah, you think? See, look, look at you, y'all. She and I shining. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, have a great rest of your day. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much.